You can have a seat for just a minute. Um, you know, if you grabbed a bulletin on the way in, um, you can take a moment to kind of see some of the things that are coming up. I just want to draw your attention uh, to a couple of them. One is this Saturday, uh, if, if you are uh, interested, come on out. There will be a, uh, just a, a fellowship event in the afternoon from 2 to 5. Uh, this is a chance to get together and play some board games, uh, have some some snacks. Uh, so I think the only thing is show up with yourself and if you have a snack that you'd like to share uh, with others. And this is also just a great uh, chance if you want to invite a friend or someone who you think uh, might enjoy uh, getting together on a cold day. So that's coming up this Saturday. And then I believe uh, two weeks from today there will be a get to know us lunch. So that is uh, for those that may be new to Creekside. Uh, maybe you want to uh, just come and find out a little bit more about some of our beliefs and practices. Uh, and, and that is the first uh, step toward uh, membership. We would like everyone to uh, attend to get to know us lunch and, and find out more about uh, Creekside. So if you're interested in that, check your bulletin. The details are in there, but that will be two weeks from today. Uh, let's just let's bow our heads uh, and take a moment to commit our time to the Lord. Father, as we gather to worship this morning and to hear from you and your word, um, Father, I just want to lift up those who may be grieving um, the loss of a loved one. Others may be uh, just hurting, um, maybe physically or discouraged uh, spiritually. Father, we just pray that you would uh, encourage each heart, that you would remind us of your goodness and your love. God, we're so thankful that you promised to be here with us this morning. Um, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, uh, there I am in the midst of them. And, and Father, we just pray that for those who may feel far from you, that they would be encouraged by your presence today, um, that you would use these songs that we sing, that you would use the words from your uh, scripture uh, to teach us and encourage us and lift our eyes to Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. It's in his name we pray. Amen. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the Just one more reminder, if you are here in person, I guess, if uh, you have a bulletin, and <clears throat> there is an additional fold on the bulletin, so uh, if you're here for the very first time, I'd appreciate it if you would take a moment or two to fill out that uh, card and information, and then just drop it in the box on the table in the entry as you leave, it's the offering box, and if you're part of a regular church family, if you have a prayer request or concern or something you're interested in, then uh, I'd appreciate if you'd fill that out and we'd be uh, glad to pray for you or 
uh, get you involved in some way that you express on that card. So just invite you to pray with me, if you would, as we prepare to study God's Word. Father, thank you uh, that you are holy. And as we come this morning, I pray that your spirit would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law. Sometimes things are difficult to understand, sometimes they aren't so hard to understand, but I know that each and every time uh, their uh, difficulty lies most with doing, and I pray that you would work in our hearts, that we might be doers of the word, and not just hearers only. I ask that you'd work in the life and heart of each and every person who hears uh, what you have to say to us this morning, who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that you would work in their hearts because it has to be your spirit that works to draw them to yourself. We pray that you'd do that. We ask that you'd work in each of us who know you to grow us and uh, into the image of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. An autoimmune disease is a condition in which your body's immune system begins to attack the healthy cells within your body, okay? So it's kind of like, you know, it's auto, self-immune disease. You're like attacking yourself. As we turn the page from chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, where we discussed the law's virtue and sin's vice, now to chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, we see more fully the venomous nature of sin, which in effect serves as a spiritual autoimmune disease in the life of a believer. In Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, uh, I've kind of broken it down into the four elements of a believer's battle against sin, which reveals our our frailty, okay? It also serves to uh, reinforce the necessity of living out our true identity, who we really are, which we've seen in chapter 6. We're dead to sin and alive to God. We're dead to the law and alive to God. We're supposed to live that out in, in our reality. And then finally, it, it helps us re, re, rejoice our heart in the fact that we ultimately have victory over sin and death in our lives, okay? So I'm in Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 14. I'm going to read the text, and then we'll begin to un- unpack uh, those four elements uh, within the life of a believer in relationship to, to sin in our life. Okay, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin, for that which I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Now, I'm just going to say this, follow with me, because that's going to be repeated at least three or four times, okay? So you basically have the section, uh, chapter uh, 7 verse 14 through verse 16 or verse 17 is saying something verses 18 through 20 says the exact same thing and verses 21 through 25 say it again uh you know more or less okay so i'm in verse 15 for that which i am doing i do not understand for i am not practicing what i would like to do but i am doing the very thing 
that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good, that the law is good. Verse 17, so now, no longer am I the one doing it, but, in, uh, but sin which dwells in me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body, uh, the body of this death, or this body of death, I think the ESV says. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. And so, the four elements that, uh, that I've drawn from the text, and hopefully we'll see it, is first of all, there's this confusion, uh, which seems to be evident, the confusion of our conflict. There's a conflict going on within the person. And so we begin, there are three grounds for the confusion that are mentioned. First, we see the power of sin within us in verse 14. The, be, the, word, the verse begins with the word for. And the for in verse 14 uh, connects the previous discussion, Paul, and, and, and continues the explanation of, God, of Paul's relationship between the law and sin. And Paul, speaking on behalf of all believers... I think, I think it's, uh, it's, he's talking to maturing believers in verses 14 through 25, openly discusses his present and ongoing battle with sin. In verses 1 through 13, he was always referring to the past. We were, we were, we were. Speaking of what was happening before a person came to Christ. Now, he's speaking on behalf of all believers, I think, and I'm, hopefully I'll begin to explain that out. He's speaking in the first person. I, 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 if you went down there, I, I, but he's speaking on behalf of all believers, okay? The ongoing battle with sin, present. Paul is convinced, he says, that the law is spiritual. And that's what he says in the text. The law is spiritual. And what does he mean by that? I think it's sourced in. It speaks for and it serves God for spiritually divine purposes. That the law is spiritual. It's of God. But, uh, he says, there's a problem. I'm not spiritual. Notice the text says, but I am of the flesh. So he's, he's living in a, of the flesh. He's living in an unredeemed mortal body that still has sin in it. Okay? Sin still operates. Sin still manipulates. And if it is allowed to, it will dominate. Even the life of a believer, okay? Now, notice verse 14. For I know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Now, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Verse 21. The principle that evil is present in me. You see the repetition. And in each, each 
phase, he's talking about basically the same thing, all right? The three laments in the text. The flesh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul said, he said to the, the Corinthian believers, he says, I would speak to you as spiritual men, but I can't speak to you as spiritual men because you're still in the, acting like you're in the flesh. You're still of the flesh. You're acting in a way that's not consistent with who you really are in Christ, but you are in the flesh. And then he says this statement in verse 14, sold into bondage to sin. Now, if you've been following along with us in Romans, you would go, whoa, now wait a second here. Sold into bondage to sin seems completely antithetical, completely the opposite of what he said. If you have your Bibles, or if you have your device, it might be a little harder, but in your Bible, you can go over to chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, and, uh, and verses, I'm not going to read them, but you can write this down, okay? If you look at verses 6 and 7, verses 18 and verse 20, he's all the time being telling us we're free from sin, we're delivered, we're free from the bondage to sin, we're no longer slaves to sin. So how is it that he comes now and he says, well, I'm, I'm in bondage to sin? If he's talking about a believer, that's the big dilemma in this text. People have argued on both sides that he couldn't certainly be talking about believers because he's just said in chapter 6, we're not in bondage to sin. Now he's chapter 7, he's saying in bondage to sin. But it seems to me he explains what he means by in bondage to sin as he marches down through the text. First of all, we see that uh, Paul's explanation of sin's enslaving power, being a bondage to sin, within a maturing believer that, that follows, that's coming on, it emphasizes the agonizing and the ongoing battle between our evil passions, our evil actions, in our unredeemed humanity and our sanctified good desires and intentions that come from the redeemed person who we are, our new creation in Christ, the new creation that we are, the Christ-like nature. And this persists throughout all of our life. So he's describing, and then he'll, he'll tease it out, like what he means by in bondage, okay, as we go on. And he's pretty clear, as we look at the text, that the corruption is, in verse 18, he says, in my flesh. And in verse 23, he says that he's a prisoner of the law of, 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 of sin in my members, the law of sin. So he's talking about the, this reality that is part of who he is, but it, it's not to complete who he is. He is a new creation, but there's also this element of, of struggle that happens within this new creation called in his members, uh, in the, the law of of sin within him. So Paul is simply explaining the presence of sin. He's not excusing the practice of sin. Okay? He's explaining the presence of sin in the life of someone who is a redeemed image bearer, but he's not excusing the practice of it. And so, I mean, he said this in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Um, he, he said, even so, consider yourselves dead to sin. And alive to God. And then, so you, 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 you no longer submit or your, your members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, but as righteousness. So there must be a conscious battle going on, and there is. Secondly, we see the practice of evil. When we prefer to do good, there, there's confusion here, right? Because there's this evil is, is powerful. And then 
it's something like, I, I, I'm doing what I don't want to do, or I do not do what I want to do. And so Paul's proof of sin's powerful presence, even in the life of a believer, begins with an admission. I don't understand. Okay, I'm a parent, so uh, sorry if you're not a parent, you'll be one someday. I used to tell my kids, uh, if you leave the room, turn the light on. You know, you don't need the light on in the room you're not in. So turn the light off when you leave the room. And then repeatedly, I go into a room, nobody's in there but the light's on. And I go, I don't understand. Not out of ignorance, not out of a lack of knowledge, but a lot of not accepting it. I don't accept it. I don't approve of it. What Paul is saying is here, I don't understand what's going on. Not that he's not ignorant, he's not ignorant of it, he just doesn't approve. He doesn't accept his own behavior. He says, for I'm not, in verse 15, I'm in verse 15, for I'm not practicing what I would like to do. Uh, namely, uh, the good that he wants to do. The good that I wish, that's verse 19. I'm not practicing the good that I wish. Now, Paul did good things, okay? So it's not like the Apostle Paul never did a good thing. So he did good things, but when, when he compared what he's done or what he's doing to the law's righteous demands, what God requires of him, even his best efforts, uh, like those of every believer, were marred and were minimized by, by pride, uh, by his prejudice, by his, his perversions in, in what he did. Okay, so you, you, serve, you serve and I serve with a tarnished humility if I envy others who receive praise for the very thing that I do but don't receive praise for. You see that in the subtleness of our hearts we can serve with what we think is, is humility and I want to do what, what people uh, you know, will not notice. Un, unnoticed humility I serve but then somebody else gets recognized for it and I go, what's up with that? I mean, I'm doing the same thing. Nobody cares. Nobody's giving me kudos. I get, you know, nobody pats me on the back. You see that I, I, I do not do the very thing that I want to do, Paul says. But it's disheartening when we are not doing what our heart desires. But it's even worse. It's even more so when I'm actually doing the very thing I hate. And that's the two sides of that coin that, he, that, he's, that he's flipping here. See, I want to be clothed. I really do, with kindness and, and, and compassion. But when the car keys are missing and I automatically accuse my wife angrily of misplacing the car keys, I'm not doing the good and I'm doing the very thing I hate. Maybe you can relate to that, I think. Uh, and maybe it's not car keys, it may be something else. I'm doing the very thing that I hate. This, this confusing conflict, and this is my case, this confusing conflict does not happen in the life of somebody who doesn't know Jesus. They, they could give a rip. 
I don't care if they get angry. They don't care if they have a tantrum. They don't care if anybody, I mean, they do whatever they do because they're in conflict with God from the beginning. They could care less if there's this conflict. And this doesn't happen in the life of an immature believer who's unconcerned about the things of God or immature in their understanding of God's desire for their life. It happens in the life of those who are maturing in Christ. Thirdly, the proclamation, as far as the confusion goes, the proclamation, this is kind of the, the proclamation of God's law, uh, of the good law's goodness, through our perversion of it. When, when, when we do what's against the law, we're actually confirming that the law is good. Now, this is verse 16. Paul says this. But I do the very thing I do not wish. If I do that, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. You see, God's law sets a perfect standard moral standard which exposes when I don't meet that perfect standard it exposes it all right and so as a new creation in Christ when I do what the law doesn't says I shouldn't do um, and we 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 don't do what we wish we should do then we're actually saying the law is good and I'm not so whenever I sin it's not the law's fault it's mine not the law doing it it's me doing it and so that's the, the confusion of our conflict. Secondly, the cause of our conflict. What's going on? What's causing this conflict within us? There are two steps that I think the text takes to confirm that it is sin that causes this conflict. First of all, the proclamation that sin is the cause. If you look at verse 17, it says, So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now go down to verse 20. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. So he's blaming sin. Okay? Paul's saying it's sin. No longer am I. Okay? So how is it that believers who agree with the law act contrary to it? I know the law is good. He just said that, verse 14. Law is spiritual. I'm not. And if I do what's wrong, I confirm that the law is good. So how is it that I, who know the law is good, don't follow the law? Is it me or something else? He says, it's sin. It's no longer I, but sin dwelling within. It's no longer I in my redeemed inner being. That's the I. Okay, that's the key here. The I is my redeemed inner self. The new creation I am in Christ, that, that me which abhors sin and doesn't like the fact that sin is attached to me, to my mortal flesh, my humanness, the one doing it, you know, I'm the one doing it, do I, what I'm approving of and I'm acting out the evil that I hate. So how is this conflict happening? It's sin which dwells in me. So think of it like this. Sin is like a dethroned tyrant, okay, in a believer's life. But it still resides there. It still remains actively uh, involved within us through our sinful nature that we received inherited from Adam. It's not on the throne, but it's still hanging around. You know, it's got some... So we cannot escape this side of glory. 
We cannot escape sin's presence and its perpetual lure. But neither are we absolved of our responsibility. So when he says it's sin doing it in me, you can say, yeah, well, the devil made me do it. So I got an excuse. Not. First John chapter 1, uh, verses 8 and 9. You can see it on the screen. If we, maybe you can, maybe you can't. Uh, but it says, if we say that we have no sin, um, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then he says in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we are people who are redeemed people, and John is talking to redeemed people who have sin, and we do sin. So if we say we have no sin, we're lying. But if we do sin, we can confess it. So we have some responsibility there. Okay? And Paul describes that spiritual battle in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, For the desire of the flesh is against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another in order to keep us from doing whatever we want. It's a battle. There's a battle going on. And so there's a proclamation of the cause, then there's the proof that sin is the cause. Paul explains why. Sin is the culprit. He says in verse 18, nothing, for I know that nothing good dwells in my flesh, okay, that is uh, with its sinful nature. And this is verses 14 and 21. Again, verse 14, the law is spiritual, but I'm not. Verse 21, there's this law, this principle, this law of evil within me. Now you see here that he's talking about this nothing good in my flesh. He knows this. He knows there's nothing good in his flesh because, or the word for is the reason, because the deep desire, the wishing to do the good is present in me. Okay? That, that, that's in me. That's in my new Christ-like nature, my redeemed self. When I came to faith in Christ, I want to do the good. But the perfect and perpetual doing of the good, which my redeemed heart wants to do, it's not there. Okay, It's not evident in my life. So as in verse, four, verse 15, it's not that Paul never did anything good. Okay, Paul did good stuff. But at his best, he failed to meet up to God's perfect and righteous standards, and he knew it, and he understood it. Verse 19, for the good that I wish I do not do, uh, which really basically is a restatement of the end of verse 18. Okay, He rephrases verse 18. And why does he rephrase it? Why does he keep saying it? Why is he three times saying, I'm not good. I want to do the good, but I don't do the good. In fact, that's not that I just don't do the good, I do the bad. Why three times? You say something once, pay attention. Say something twice, whoa. You say something three times, this is to be listened to. He's magnifying, I think, okay? What he's doing is he's magnifying in, in our understanding that the reality that we are sinful, okay? He's magnifying the frustration of this internal conflict, unique to believers, which is intensified 
as he said in verse 15. It's not that I, I, I just failed to do the good. Notice what he says there in verse 19. But I practice the very evil that I do not want to do. I want to do good, but I don't do the good. It's not that, it, that that's bad enough, but then I, I practice the stuff that I don't want to do. Did you wake up this morning thinking, I just can't wait to go, uh, you know, speak ill of somebody? Just looking for an opportunity as a believer in Christ to, to find something in my thoughts or my minds about somebody, you know, they're really a knucklehead. They're really a crazy person. I can't believe the way they wear, what they wore. I, no, you woke up this morning thinking, you know, I want to encourage people in Christ, but guess what? Our mind automatically goes to, hmm. Really? Can't believe they would do that. Can't believe they'd say that. Can't believe they thought that. I don't know what they're thinking. We become critical instead of complimentary. Why? Where does that come from? Paul says, I practice the very evil that I do not want. So, so sin works in me. That's kind of the idea, that it's sin that's dwelling within me that's, that's doing this. You know, and we're not unique. I mean, David had the same struggle. Uh, you don't have time to do it right now, but you go back and read Psalm 32 and go back and read Psalm 51. And David says, you know, that, 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 that he, he, in sin did my mother conceive me, you know? It's like, well, I can't believe that I, I, I'm doing, do, take not your Holy Spirit from me, he says in Psalm 51. Whoa, he's struggling with it. And so we see that there, that there is this confusion and there's the cause of sin and then we get to the character of the conflict. How does he describe this back and forth, this back and forth? He describes it as a battle, a war. And there are two warring masters that are identified. Now, if I'm in verse 21 and I want you to see that this, is, this idea of the master that's on one side and the master on the other, there are two different ones. First, the law of sin in my members. In verse 21a, he describes it as the principle, or the ESV says the law, which is kind of funny, it's good, because in the ESV, the law is repeated numerous times, and so it's always this law thing. It's this law, 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 which is the, the rule, okay? So there is this principle, or the, the law of sin, and he says it in verse 21 in the form of a principle of evil, then if you go to verse 23, he says, I see a different law in the members of my body. So it's the principle of evil. It's the law in the members of my body. And at the end of verse 23, he says the law of sin, which is in my members. And he repeats it again in verse 25, the law of sin. So that's one of them. The warring factions. The law of sin. Sin in my body. Okay. And what is this? Introduces, he, he introduces the third in verse 21, the third lament of sin's torment. First one in verse 14, second one in verse 18, now in verse 21. And it consists of the perverse, pervasive and powerful principle of evil uh, slash law in my members slash law of sin in my body, okay? Constantly warring against his other part principle of evil law of members law of sin versus his regenerate person his inner being and this is what we we get to in in verse 22 
for I joyfully concur in the law of God. So that's the other one. Law of my sin nature, law of my redeemed person in Christ that's battling with me in it. And is inner man. And what is this inner man? This inner man is the regenerate part of who I am when I come to faith in Christ. And this is the part of me that's strengthened. Paul says, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, strengthened with all might by your spirit in the inner man. This is the, the 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, our outer man is decaying, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. The outer man and the inner man is, 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 is the source of the battle. You see, and I joyfully concur as a believer. We joyfully concur with God about the law, that it is good, and that's what I want to do in our inner man. And so you have the, the external, quote-unquote, not really external, but it's the, the, the law of sin, the law in my members versus B, the law of my mind, which corresponds to my inner being. At the core of who we are, as redeemed image bearers, in our inner being, we wholeheartedly, passionately, and joyfully want to follow God's law. We delight in it. We desire to obey it. I, I don't know anybody who's a genuine believer in Christ who says, yeah, I just wake up every morning thinking how I can rebel against God. That's not a believer. That's an unbeliever. Or at least a very immature believer. Okay? No. But we, believers, we live in these two overlapping realms. <laughs> it's like, ugh. It's like battle within, you know? These overlapping realms and conflicting realms. Our inner man, in, in it, as the new creation, under the Spirit's control, redeemed by God's grace, wants to bring glory to God. That's what we want to do. But here's the problem. <laughs> but the law of sin in my members, that evil principle, that evil law, the, the law of sin in my members, is the old sinful nature that's subject to sin's deception and temptation, and it's actively and aggressively warring against who I am in my spirit as a new creation. It's a battle. And whenever the evil is able to triumph, and we allow it to triumph, then Paul describes it this way, as we become a prisoner of sin. Now, just so you know, think I'm not uh, making this up. Uh, he says in verse 23, at the end of the verse, I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. It's a battle. So what are we supposed to do in the battle? Well, uh, Paul gives, or Peter gives us some insight. First of all, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. So we take an active part in abstaining from these things that we know. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So there is something that we're supposed to do. And you see this as Paul goes back and forth and back and forth. In Romans chapter 6, he says, you reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Stop yielding your members as instruments of, of unrighteousness, but to righteousness. So there's this conscious thing that we have to do as believers. So we see the, the confusion of the conflict. We, we see the cause of the conflict. 
We see the character of the conflict. It's a battle. And then finally, we see the comfort in the conflict. And there's two sources of comfort in our inevitable conflict. First of all, um, I have it, and this is verses 24 and 25, is that we rejoice in certain victory. So here's Paul. He's kind of been laying this out. I, you know, I'm really, I'm not a, the law's really good, but I'm not. Um, there, in fact, there's nothing really good in me. In, it is in my flesh, in my unredeemed humanity, humanness, uh, that, that fallen sinful nature that still, the residual effects are still there. Um, uh, the principle of evil is still at work. I'm, I, I don't like this. But, but he knows something else is going on. So he says in verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am. You see a theme there? Verse 14, what's he say? Nothing good in me. I, I, well, he says, I, I, I'm sold in bondage to sin. I, I'm, not, I'm of the flesh. In verse 18, I know nothing good is in me. Verse 21, the principle of evil is present in me. Verse 24, wretched man that I am. I think in utter despair over his awareness of sin's presence and persistent influence in his, in his, in his life. I mean, you were talking about the Apostle Paul. I mean, this is the, guy, the greatest missionary of all time, right? I mean, the guy who did more good for the cause of Christ than most of us combined. He says, wretched man that I am. You say, whoa, that's a great excitement, Pastor. Thank you for that encouragement. Because what hope do I have if Paul's, you know, like on the, on the verge of, uh, you know, major depression? Um, he says, in utter despair, wretched man that I am. See, his, his, his self Demeaning his, meaning, his, his demeaning self-assessment is in direct proportion to his grasp of God's holiness. So think about this, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's that um, the more glorious God is to us, the more reprehensible is, and, and, and is our sin's grotesqueness. As we get to know God's glory more, we see the wickedness within us, which is more repulsive to us. I just talked to a, a guy the other day on the phone. He had, he had uh, kind of done some remodeling, or remodeling, restoration on his vehicle, right? So he had this car, and he, he fixed it up, and he painted it up all real nice and, and fancy. Spent a lot of money getting it fixed up and painted. And then guess what? All the chrome on the car was like, looked really nasty because it was pitted and it wasn't like, like so the shiny newness of his paint job only accentuated the, the, the cruddiness of his chrome. As we get to know God more, the shininess of his glory reflects more the cruddiness of our humanity. And we want that not to be the case. And so we see that, that, that you know, we glorify God, uh, that the evil wars against us, and it entices us, and ensnares us in sin. It ensnares us in greed, and lust, and jealousy, and anger, and frustration, and criticism, and harshness. And so Paul was horrified by the wickedness and we should be horrified by our own wickedness. And so Paul cries out for all of us, and it should be our cry. Who will deliver us from this body of death? How can I escape this? 
body of death. This sin that's latent within me that troubles and torments me. This body of death. The source of our torment and trouble is our unredeemed earthly humanity, the sinful nature that is in subject to sin and sentenced to death because this fleshly body is dying. Okay, There's no way around it. We're, we're, we're dying. And all that's accompanied with it. Interesting fact. In ancient times, one of the more uh, grisly uh, forms of execution was a person who was convicted of murder. The, the victim of that murder, that dead body, would be strapped to the convicted felon. Tightly strapped. No way to get out of it. And so the, the one who had committed the murder would be carrying the dead corpse and the odor and the offense of that corpse would be with that person until they themselves died. I think that's what Paul sees in his fleshly sinful self. As who would not want, as Paul says, who will set me free from this body of death? Who will set me free from this body of death? Rescued from every last stinking remnant of my fallen self. When is that happening? He answers his own question. Verse 25. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's the answer. In Christ alone. I stand in Christ alone. And see, through Christ, believers are delivered from three realms of sin's influence. We're delivered, first of all, and this is not new, you've heard it before. We've been delivered from sin's penalty. What's the penalty of sin? What is it? Death. The penalty of sin is death. Look at verse 23 of Romans 6. The wage of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life where through whom in Christ the wage of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus we've been delivered from the penalty of sin which is death we've been delivered from the power of sin which is dominance Romans chapter 6 verse 6 and in this verse, he says, knowing this, that our old self has been crucified, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Yeah, but pastor, you just said, and Paul just said, he was in bondage to sin. Not in the same way. Not in the same way. Only in the sense that we allow ourselves to be carried away by sin's enticements and allurements. Not that we have to serve sin. We no longer have to serve sin. But unbelievers are always slaves of sin. Believers are not always slaves of sin unless we agree to it. We're delivered from the power of sin, which is, in, which is his dominance. The text says in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 18 and 20, we've been freed from sin. And finally, and ultimately, we're delivered from the presence of sin, which as we see in Paul's life, in our life, is very disheartening, very discouraging, very uh, depressing that we are 
One, one day we're going to be freed from the presence of sin. You see, Paul goes on, and we're going to get there. This is what's interesting, because now we're like, we're, kind of, oh, we're down in the valley here. This is really depressing stuff, you know. But Romans 8 kind of like brings us up out of the pit. But he, he, he gives us a hint of it here. In our present groaning, we, our present groaning will be eclipsed by the glory that's waiting for us. The full and final deliverance from sin's presence is coming when we receive our redeemed body. You have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul describes it. He goes this way. He says, For I consider that the sufferings, uh huh, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. Verse 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And most of you know 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right? Verses 54 through 57. But when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of Death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's this victory that we have ultimately and finally over the presence of sin that steals us, S-T-E-E-L-S, steals us, solidifies us, strengthens us in our present struggle, which is the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, 15 which is verse 58. Therefore, because we have the victory in Christ, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, before Paul expounds further on uh, the the rescue that we have in Christ, which is in chapter 8, he kind of like, grounds us in the reality of this life. And that's the conclusion of verse 25. Which is, <laughs> so there's comfort, right? We rejoice in certain victory, but <laughs> we remain with competing loyalty. <laughs> right now we're here. We're on this earth, and it's tough. And so the end of verse 25, he says, I myself... Uh, it says, so then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. And again, his mind is his inner being, that is his heart, regenerate person, redeemed believer. He sought, as we do, as children of God, to serve God's law, to serve God in the newness of the spirit. Remember, not the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the spirit. But that service is not without significant opposition which is the last part of, of, of verse 25. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Yes, I'm serving the law of sin with my flesh. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but the Iowa legislature uh, was debating a law as to whether we would uh, ensconce in the Constitution the, that there are uh, really, as God says, only two genders, male and female. And there were some people there in the rotunda of the Capitol screaming and, you know, yelling and trying to oppose God. 
I'll say it that way because that's what they were doing. They thought they were just opposing the state legislature, but trying to fight against God. And that, 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 that pictures in my mind kind of the battle that's within the believer. There is the good that is our inner being that wants to follow and fear and, and, and do what God wants. And then there is the, the fleshly part of us, that unredeemed sinful nature that's there fighting against us. And that's where we live. In, 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 this, in this world, in, this, in, the, in the meantime. And so what do we do with that? Well, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you, you maybe don't really care uh, about this conflict. But let me tell you what. If you're here this morning, you're listening online, and, uh, and you, you don't care about sin and its conflict, it controls you. And not only does it control you, it's worse than that, it condemns you. Because you are subject to death. And I, by that I mean spiritual separation from God for eternity, which is a torment in eternal hell. And that is not what I want for you. It's not what God wants for you. And the scripture has said, and we've read it in Romans chapter 3, that you can be delivered from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. And from the presence of sin. Through faith in Jesus Christ. As the gift of God's grace. Through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Who paid the debt for sin on the cross. So that all who would believe in him could be redeemed. And that's my invitation to you. To put your faith and your trust in Christ. And do it today. And for those of us who know Christ. I said in the beginning that this, this, this kind of alerts us to what's going on. Well, we need to recognize our vulnerability. There is sin lurking in the shadows in your life that is waiting to entice, ensnare, and cripple your witness and testimony. Beware. It's there, waiting. Recognize it. And it will dominate if we allow it. But secondly, resolve to live out your true identity as one dead to sin but alive to God. By God's grace, each and every day in the power of the Spirit, let us seek to commit ourselves, not submitting our, our members as instruments of unrighteousness, but to righteousness. And finally, rejoice. Leave on a good note. We do win. You know, Read the last chapter. <laughs> you know, we're right in the middle of the book. And, uh, you know, we, we don't know, but we know the end. Some of you are like, I read the beginning, first chapter, and then I read the last chapter, and then if I have time, I read what's in between, you know. Well, the last chapter is we win. And so be encouraged by that. And, you know, what better way to re be reminded that we win than to come and to take the symbols of our victory that have been found and, and made available to us through Christ as we take the bread and as we take the juice. We consider the price that was paid for our rescue from the grip of sin's penalty, its power, and its presence. What was the price? The precious blood of a lamb without spot or blemish who did it so that you and I, undeserving, even now undeserving as we are, could be rescued and saved. And not only do we consider the price, which humbles us. But we consider the prize of those who believe. 
Victory is ours in Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, my invitation to you is to take a moment or two and let these things wash over your soul. Understand that you are with Paul, I am with Paul, and that there is nothing good in us in our flesh. We are wretched people, but in Christ we are redeemed. And then come and take the elements. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the truths of your word, sobering, and yet give us reason for celebration. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Worthy, 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 oh, this is amazing grace. This is Thank you for coming this morning. Look forward to seeing you back next week.